0: back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female with your host Paola Rosser. Today my guest is Amy Green. Amy has been a professional in the fitness industry for over seven years. She holds multiple certifications from the National Academy of Sports Medicine and personal training. She has her bachelor's degree in sociology from the University of California, Irvine. She's also a licensed substance abuse counselor. She received her clinical education from UCLA. Amy has been a sports and fitness model for six years and has worked with some of the world's top athletes for Nike and Adidas as an on-set technical movement choreographer. She's currently teaching group fitness at Motion Fitness Group in Irvine. Amy is a recovering heroin addict with three years, six months, and six days of recovery. This is the story she will be focusing on today. From becoming a top athlete and scholar student to a functioning heroin addict and how she came back from a life of certain death. Everybody, welcome, Amy. Hello. (laughs) I'm so excited to hear your story. We talked a little bit earlier, but so far I'm like at the edge of my seat, so I can't wait for the audience to hear your incredible journey.
1: Yeah. Every time I tell my story, it gives me a chance to relive it Mm -hmm. in certain ways. And I've recently realized like when I do tell it now that there's a lot more emotion behind it because It seems like there's been so much distance from it that I see it differently now.
0: Yeah. It's almost like a whole different life that you live (sighs) that it's kind of hard to even fathom it now.
1: Yes, but not, you know, I can't forget what happened to me, (laughs) what I did. I can't.
0: Yeah. It's part of your story. It's part of your journey. It's part of who you are today.
1: Yes. And there's no more shame around it.
0: So let's start from the beginning.
1: Okay. So from the beginning, I grew up in the Santa Clarita Valley and I grew up in a loving home. You know, my dad's a dentist. My mom was a homemaker. I got an older sister. We've always had dogs. And I started playing sports when I was four years old. I started playing soccer. And very quickly, soccer and sports became my life from the time that I was in elementary school all the way up through post-college. that's That was the career and the, the path that I knew that I could was supposed to be on, you know, and my parents always thought that keeping me busy would keep me out of trouble. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Yeah. So very early on, I was taught and I learned that grades and performance meant a lot, right? So however well I was doing in school and however well I was performing in sports kind of dictated, how well I was doing in life in general. And so I learned that as long as I kept those things up, then I could kind of do whatever I wanted behind closed doors. So <laughs>
0: yeah, as long as you had the good
1: facade. <laughs> yes. As long as I looked good, I performed well, grades were good, then I could go party my face off. So that kind of started in high school. The partying stage started in high school. It wasn't like an issue, but I always had that type of personality that I would go really hard. I would go harder than most people.
0: Really, And <laughs> yes. when you say partying, like, are you talking about just drinking so far? You're still in high school, so...
1: Drinking, smoking weed. I was doing coke. It was... In th- high school. Yes. <laughs> yes. In high school. I'm sorry, mom.
0: <laughs> how do you get these drugs? Like, I don't know. To me, it's like, how do you get these drugs in high school? For me, I, I was drinking. Yeah. I think I smoked a little bit of weed, yeah. but coke, who introduces coke? I.
1: You know what? I just had older, I had
0: older kids, maybe? yes,
1: and I had two separate groups of friends. I had my sports friends, and then I had the burnout friends. Oh. the ones that my parents and my mom was always like, I'm not saying you're better than them. You're just on a different path. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you know? You know, yeah, so so I was able to, like compartmentalize my life mm-hmm. very early on. And so once I got a scholarship to play soccer, in college, I knew that I had to like cut it out. Right. And so, so then, you know, the, uh, the addict side of me was like, let's just throw everything into sports, Mm -hmm. all of it. So I ended up going to UC Irvine. I got a scholarship to play there. I ended up running track, playing soccer and cross country there. So I was very busy.
0: And extremely fit.
1: Super fit.
0: <laughs> and I
1: stayed that way. Good. I don't know how. <laughs> you know, all throughout college, I had this identity of just this all-star athlete. I mean, my parents just like glow when they talk about my college years, you know, yeah. and, and even at that time, I remember feeling a lot of pressure for being, being so great at what I was doing. And I know, and like, I I hesitate saying that, but it's like, that's what it was. Like that's, I, I was, I was an excellent athlete and I was an incredible student and my life was that. Yeah. Until it wasn't anymore, you know?
0: Yeah. But so right now when you're talking about like your incredible athleticism and everything, is it hard for you to like really drink it in at how great you were?
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Just because I think, like, the humility piece around it, you know, you hear people say, you know, you should be humble and this and that. But it's like, I guess humility is kind of being right-sized. So, yeah. Okay. it was really great.
0: You should. <laughs> you, know? you should drink it in. <laughs> i know, <I'm
1: laughs> drinking it in. Like, just apple juice. It tastes it, good.
0: Drink it in, honestly, because I feel like a lot of us have that problem where we're really, really good at it, but we were told from... Very young, like be humble, have some yeah. humility. But when you've put in that much dedication, mm. that many hours, sacrificing, you know what everyone else was doing at that time, and you're just like sacrificing your for your craft, like you should really yeah. give yourself more accolades than you're giving yourself now. Yeah,
1: you're right. You're right. And <laughs> and it was great. And I had built this identity for myself. It was an incredible moment in my life right because it was everything is moments right Mm -hmm. so that was like wow you know I was on top yeah and my senior year of college I had a stress fracture in my pelvis from running hundreds of miles a month on concrete during cross-country season track season over training and I remember our sports medicine doctor saying look you can either sit your last season or you can run through it and we'll kind of manage it as we go Mm -hmm. And obviously the athlete in me was like, I'm not freaking sitting my final season of track. Like what? (laughs) So I ran and I didn't know that that choice would forever change the course of my life.
0: Really? Mm -hmm. So what happened? How did it change you?
1: Once it all was said and done, my season was over, had my diploma in my hand. It was like, I was left with this injury, mm-hmm. and I was also left with a major identity crisis. All I ever knew, all I ever knew was school and sports, grades and performance. And I'm like, how do I dictate my progress in life without these things? Mm-hmm. And who am I without track, without soccer, without cross country? Who, who is Amy, right? Yeah. I didn't understand the characteristics that it took to be all those things, to do all those things. So I I was left with just this kind of like darkness of like, well, what do I do now?
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people who graduate from college have that. I did. I mm -hmm. certainly did. When I graduated from college, I was depressed for like a week. Like, well, now what?
1: The college letdown. That's what my life coach calls it.
0: It is because you're like... I've been struggling my whole life. It's like, okay, now I'm, I'm here. I graduated. Now what?
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> now what? Yeah. The only next logical thing was to become a drug addict, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like do all these great things and then let's go down here. Oh you know? my
0: goodness. Is that
1: what happened? Yes. In, in a nutshell, yes. Yes. I had that injury and I remember going to an urgent care and being like, I can't freaking walk, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well here, we're going to treat the symptom. We're going to treat the pain right away. So they put me on pain medication. I had no idea what addiction really meant. At right? the time. At the time, I had no idea what physical addiction was. The The mind frame I had about addiction was that like a drug addict is someone that's living under a bridge yeah. and they're homeless mm-hmm. and they got a needle in their arm, right? Yeah.
0: Because that's what you, that's what you are imagining. You know, that's what most television movies portray. That's what an addictive person looks like.
1: Totally. And, and the face of addiction is like, not me,
0: right? It's not you. No. It's not
1: your doctor. It's not, you know. So anyways, I was on the, on these pills and I realized that I really liked them. I really liked the way that it numbed me, Mm. the emotional stuff that I was dealing with my identity crisis, the pain physically that I felt. And my mom also got very sick with cancer about a year after I graduated from college. And that was when things started to spiral. I was dating someone who I was very codependent with. Mm-hmm. in a very emotional, abusive situation, but I had no sense of self. So I had no where else to go, but in his arms. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been
0: there. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. How I- many of you have too? <laughs> right. Raise your hand ladies. Jeez, I
1: know. Huh? <laughs> so that was kind of the perfect storm, the mm-hmm. identity crisis, the abusive, emotionally abusive relationship, my Me mom's mom. illness. And I was like, lost AF. Mm-hmm. I was lost.
0: And these pills are giving you the answer. And
1: these pills are giving me the energy to deal with it because with my brain chemistry, it worked out great. Mm-hmm. And it was also taking away the pain of like everything that I was supposed to be feeling, but hiding from.
0: And how long were you on like those pain, like pain medications? How many so were that, you taking? That
1: was, let's see, that was about a year and a half From like 2000, like tail end of 2011 Mm -hmm. to like 2013, I was freaking taking handfuls of these things. My body had become so addicted and all while this was happening, my fitness career was taking off. Really? Taking off.
0: So you're taking these like downers and you could still
1: work out? That's my, that's my brain chemistry. That's how my, my brain chose to break it down, right wow. Some people get itchy and they throw up and they get tired and they can't deal. Function, but yeah for me, it was the exact opposite. opposite.
0: you're like, I'm on fire. This this is working, right? I'm
1: on fire and I have this deep, dark secret that nobody knows and I'm dying inside, but I'm also, you know, flying around the country as a fitness model for Nike. You know, my clientele base is growing in Orange County. I'm building a name for myself as, as a really excellent trainer. Wow. And because. And nobody has a clue. No, because remember, like I have to keep up appearances. Yeah. So if I don't live that, if if I'm not keeping up my appearance out here, then, then people are going to know. Yeah. So that double life was.
0: So at that time, nobody knew. Nobody. Were, nobody, no, not a best friend. No one. Wow.
1: Nobody knew. And we were also focused on my mom mm-hmm. at this time that like, I was just on the back end. Um, I was a mess. Yeah. I was a mess. So fitness career taking off. Mom sick, was with this boyfriend, you know, I'm still struggling, but what's giving me validation is where I'm going with my career right? What's, what's actually helping me get through all of it was that like, I'm still doing well Mm -hmm. on the outside.
0: So nothing's wrong.
1: Nothing's wrong. (laughs) You're doing everything right. Exactly. Story of my life. So in 2013, I remember that I was finally like, I was so sick. I was vomiting blood all the time. I wasn't eating. I was very thin. I was, I was, I was very, very sick. And I remember. I came to my parents and I said, I need help. And they're like, with what? What do you mean? What are you talking about? I'm addicted to these pills. I don't know what happened. I don't understand. They didn't know the extent of how bad it was because I was too ashamed to yeah. tell them.
0: Just kind of told them the tip of the iceberg. Totally.
1: I need help. I need help getting off of these things because if I, I get sick, if I don't have them, my parents as supportive and loving as they are, whatever you need, mm-hmm. let's do it. So I did some like BS outpatient program here in Orange County where, you know, I was medically detoxed and I learned absolutely nothing about addiction. Nothing. I learned nothing about addiction. I learned nothing about recovery. I just knew that I was physically addicted to these pills. Mm -hmm. Right. So all of the revelations about like the emotional stuff that I I was talking to you about earlier and the identity crisis, I didn't come into that knowledge until much, much later on. Okay. So it was like, oh, I'm just addicted to these pills. I just need to be off of them.
0: And everything's going to be back to normal.
1: Totally. Let's just put it on the to-do list. Let's get sober, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Check it off. Check that box off. (laughs) Yes. So,
1: so I went to that outpatient program. It was really just like an expensive UA urine analysis every week and like a couple of BS groups and a couple papers I had to write. Mm Mm-hmm. I wasn't sober. I still like smoked weed and like, I'd like drop some acid at music festivals and whatnot, because like, whatever, you know, Yeah,
0: everybody does. Totally.
1: And so, but still during this time, my career started to blossom even more. Like Mm -hmm. I just kind of stepped into more success. It was like, God was doing these things in my life. And I'm like, how, why do I don't deserve this, but I'm going to just keep walking this path. So I stayed clean off of the pills for about a year and a half, maybe two years after that. And then I started teaching group fitness at a place out here in Orange County where very quickly I grew a huge following of people. Like it was almost like the success of that happened very quickly. And then I started dating someone else, another loser. (laughs) Jeez. Like, get my right? Right. And we happen to work together, and I'm not gonna say any names because everyone knows, knows everyone I'm, out here. Yes. So and everyone probably knows who I'm talking about. So
0: Well, the series of losers. Yes.
1: Yes. I mean you, you can you can probably
0: relate. Uh, I maybe. probably <laughs> date them too. Yeah, right.
1: Seriously. We've all passed them around.
0: I probably dated the same loser. Yeah.
1: I, I mean I hope not. I'm just kidding. I, know, I, know, I hope not. So So I'm teaching at this place and I'm, you know, I, am signed to a new modeling agency and I'm, I have all this new, like found success again. And I start dating this loser. I was working out and I got an injury. I slammed a barbell down on my neck, Ouch! like right, right at the base of my neck. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be paralyzed. (gasps) But I wasn't. And I remember you can't take these pills because you'll get addicted to them yeah let's try something else right did the physical therapy like every other day I was doing what I needed to do on, on the back end to try and like make sure that I didn't have to go that route yeah and I remember laying in bed my job was so so uh, active that no matter how much physical therapy I was doing I was reaggravating the injury every single day yeah I was laying in bed And I was laying there and I was crying and I was so uncomfortable. I couldn't move. And I was like, that's it. Got up, drove to the urgent care, got a prescription. Wow. And I remember coming home and my loser boyfriend at the time was at my house. And I put the bag of, of pills on the table and he was like, what do you got there? And I was just kind of telling him, he's like, let me get some. And I was like, I know what this is. Yeah. Okay. It's on. Again,
0: so even when that moment when he said, "Let me get some," you didn't have like that second thought, like, "No, I'm no. not going to let you." You were just like, "Hell oh yeah, let's pop them together."
1: I was in, I was overworked. I had a schedule that was completely unmanageable. I was working for a major narcissist. Yeah, and I was being taken advantage of. So I was already, I had all of these things
0: piled on, piled on. So you're like, I need this break. I, yeah,
1: I'm like, I need to not feel. Mm -hmm. something. And this person's going to not feel it with me so I can have a buddy. Yeah. So I don't have to be isolated in this.
0: Yeah. And there's less shame when you have a buddy.
1: 100%. So fast forward the next, I would say eight months, it completely spiraled. Really? I was, I moved from the pain pills to heroin.
0: Wow. That's a big jump.
1: Very fast.
0: Who introduced heroin? He did. He did?
1: He did. Was he
0: doing heroin before or like he met somebody? How did that come into the... So Because to me, that seems like a huge jump.
1: Well, yes, it is a huge jump. So I wasn't getting the pills from a doctor anymore because in my like skewed perception of, of what an addict was, I was like, well, if I go to the doctor. I'm not in pain anymore. If I like med-seek, then that means I'm an addict. So I'm just going to buy them on the
0: street. (laughs) That was your That was that my I was, was literally Your train mentality. of your train of thought. Yes. <laughs> me getting the pills from the doctor is not an addict, right. but getting it from the street. Well, because the doctor's
1: gonna know that I'm not in pain anymore and he knows I'm gonna be lying. So maybe I'll just like ignore all that and not do oh, that and then okay. just go get them on the street where I can be like super discreet about it.
0: Yes. Okay, now I get it. Now I see your train they of They can't thought. see me rolling my eyes at myself. <laughs> She's rolling her eyes yeah. at herself at the time. Mm. Her younger self. Yes, yes,
1: much younger. <laughs> So we were going to go pick up like another round of oxys or whatever it was that we were doing at the time. And the the dealer that we were picking up from. I feel so weird talking about this. Is this like okay?
0: Yes. Okay, cool. Absolutely. I'm <laughs>
1: like, you know, the dealer and the this and the that. So
0: <laughs> we talk about everything here. Okay, good. All the darkness, okay. all everything, every okay. little bit of it.
1: So the the dealer where we were getting all of our, our pills from. And, and at this time I had been taught how to smoke the Oxycontins or the roxies and whatever it was that I was doing. So I was no longer snorting them. I was no longer taking them orally. Injusting. I was smoking them Okay. A foil, like oh. a creature. Okay. Okay. Also working, functioning every single day, waking up at 3.30 in the and morning.
0: Nobody at work had any idea. Nobody knew. That's crazy.
1: Nobody knew. Nobody knew. My parents... Kind of had an idea. We'll get to that. Actually, okay. We'll get to that. So, so you're there with the dealer. We're you're di- we're, up- we're in the car with the dealer. I don't have any Roxy's. He says, and he's like, but I do have this. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, it's black tar heroin. And I'm like light it up. Wow. I was so sick. I was like dope sick at the time. I was like, couldn't, my body hurt. I wanted to throw up. I was sweating. You know, it was, I was going through withdrawal and I was like, okay, well, will it make me feel better? And he said, yeah. So I did it. And I was like, all right, let's get some.
0: And that's how it happened. And
1: that's how it started. That was, that was like the beginning of the end. So during that time, I'm trying to like flash back and forth between like the light side of me and the dark side of me. I was working, I was functioning. I was, I was touching a lot of people's lives in the fitness industry on a deep level. Mm-hmm. And I was helping a lot of people. Yeah. And that was the one thing that I looked forward to every single day was when I was teaching. Yeah. those like few hours a day where I could completely be present with what I was doing. Yeah. You know?
0: And sometimes it's so much easier to help other people than to help yourself.
1: Yeah. Because I, I, I hated myself so much that these people loved me so much that it, it kept me from, from killing myself. Wow. hmm So mm-hmm. they were
0: important to you.
1: So important to me. Yeah. And to this day, I still teach and train all of them. Oh. Th- I mean, we'll get, we'll get to the rest of that story, but that went on, the heroin use, the, the complete and utter addiction that I spiraled into went on for... I would say about six, seven months, and at that time, I was very distanced from my family. Yeah, you Cause know? you have to
0: hide it. You oh, can't and, be around them,
1: and, and they would know because I had the dark circles. I was very thin. I still looked extremely fit, mm-hmm. which is like the crazy part. <laughs> but they would know. They know their little girl, and I was very emotionally dysregulated, mm-hmm. and and it was hard for me to be around them and have to hide it. Yeah. So I just was like. They lived in Santa Clarita. I lived out here, you know.
0: The excuse is the drive. Totally the drive.
1: I'm busy. I'm working every day. Sorry,
0: I can't make it. And the other
1: thing is I was working seven days a week too. So yeah. I was like... So you had the perfect excuse. Totally. Always. And, they, and my mom, I remember, like, she knew. She knew something was wrong. So fast forward. Let's see. I'm living with one of my best friends at the time. And my boyfriend moves in with us. And she is a functional medicine practitioner. So she's... You know, she's in the medical industry and she's very like holistic and we've been close for many years.
0: Did she know you were on heroin? She
1: didn't know until she found foils in the trash can and she questioned me and she was like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, uh, (laughs) I saw
0: mine. You're (laughs) my hamburger wrapper. (laughs) Right.
1: I don't, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I like could not, I couldn't tell her the truth. I was so ashamed of what I was doing. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. She sent the foils to a lab.
0: Shut up. Mm -hmm. Wow. Detective. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Totally.
1: Oh, she's the best. She sent the foils to a lab.
0: Did she think it was you at this time, maybe she thought it was your boyfriend?
1: She didn't want to believe it was me. But so she like knew it was him, but she didn't want to believe it was me. Right. Like didn't want to. And so it was a very short while after I lived with her that like me and him moved out and got our own place because you know he was kind of controlling me and like I was isolated from everyone yeah. in this relationship and it's the
0: perfect scenario
1: to totally complete. totally and I was like this was the lowest point of my entire life
0: so when she turned those foil things into the lab did she confront you
1: she sat on the results for like 5 months
0: oh, she didn't really? know what to
1: do she didn't know if she should tell my mom She didn't know what to do. She didn't know if it was her place. So
0: that's crazy. She ended
1: up telling my mom and showing her the the stuff. And my mom.
0: Five months later.
1: Yeah. My mom was trying to put the pieces together herself. Right. Because I wasn't. But five months
0: later, you're no longer living with her. Nope. So she's obviously even more aware. Mm
1: -hmm. And I, and I like, wasn't speaking to her. Like we weren't, you know, so she was, she was caught in the place of like, well, what do I do? Yeah. How do I do this? You know, she did the right thing. Yeah, she did. And we all
0: need best friends like that.
1: A hundred percent. And I knew it at the time. So, so my mom, I remember this was in January of 2016, January 22nd.
0: Wow. Okay. My
1: mom calls me. She's like, why don't you come home for dinner? You haven't been home in months. We want to see you. And I was like, okay, yeah. You know? So I taught my last class of the morning. This was on a Saturday. I drove to my parents' house. I had a duffel bag with like an outfit to change into, like my glasses and my contact lenses. I get home and my mom's home. My sister's home. Everyone's acting normal. And then my dad gets home and I go to hug my dad and he can't even look at me. And I'm like, what's going on here? You know, he like, I tried to hug him and he's like, he wasn't himself.
0: Yeah. A little standoffish. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so my mom's like, well, why don't we all just like go in the living room and watch a movie and whatever? And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm high as shit right now, like whatever. So we go in the living room. I sit down with my dad and my sister and I'm like, where's mom? So I get up and I walked to the entry hall and my mom is walking in with my aunt who is an interventionist
0: Shut and up. she
1: uh, works at Passages in Malibu. She's also sober as well.
0: And but did I, that like click at that moment or no?
1: 100%. It did? I looked at her you and You were I like, said, oh, my
0: aunt's coming for the movie. Oh no,
1: no, no, no. I looked at her and I was like, I know what's going on here. And so we went and we sat in the living room and I, without even like, without even letting them say anything, I was like, yes. (laughs) I was like,
0: thank you, God. Like, (laughs) like you needed that. That's what you needed. I was like, I didn't know how to ask. I didn't know how to get out. I didn't know how to
1: get help. I was so ashamed. And I was like,
0: thank you. Yes. It's hard when you're in that dark pit. It's hard to ask for help. I didn't know how hard
1: asking for help was until I was in a situation like that. Yeah. And so, what I didn't know is like that whole week my mom was like taking care of everything. She was she was finding the place to place me in. She was calling every treatment center you couldn't imagine. And she was putting everything into place, making sure that she was going to get all my bills paid for me, that she was going to do everything that it needed to take so that I would just have to go and get better.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because you would literally have to put your whole entire business where they have no clue what you're going through on hold.
1: So this is happening. The intervention's going on. And I am responsible to so many people in Orange County, in my mind, right? Yeah, That I didn't even care. I was like, fuck it. I need to leave. Like, I need to get out. And so I told my mom that I needed to call my boss. So I called my boss. I went upstairs to smoke the rest of my heroin. Oh. They they knew. They knew. And I called my boss and I said, I need to go to rehab. I won't be coming into work on Monday. And my boss was, was he like, surprised? he was like, what are you talking about? Rehab? What yeah. do you mean? I said, I have a problem. I didn't want to be too detailed, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have a problem. I need to go. Like, I have to go save my life. Mm-hmm okay, well, we'll support you. We'll do what you got to do. We'll f- figure stuff out. How long are you going to be gone for? I'm like, I don't know, a month,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: I'm going to be gone for a month. So four days later, it was a four-day wait period. I went to a place called Beit Teshuva okay. in Los Angeles. It's a Jewish drug and alcohol treatment center. It is the, the coolest place on the face of this earth, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> do you have to be Jewish to go there?
1: No, okay, you don't. Okay, good. Good to know. But it's a people, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> So as a 27 year old woman, I went into residential treatment and I was like, I'm only going to be here for a month.
0: Mm-hmm. That's it.
1: All I need is one month. And yeah. I'll be fine. Right. So about 20 some days go by and I'm like, ah, I don't think I'm ready to go home yet. You know, I was having serious breakthroughs. I had a spiritual counselor, a therapist, you know, a group, group counseling, therapy. I was, I was being a part of everything. i like the athlete I am, I put 100% of myself into
0: this. Perfect.
1: Right? And I showed up. I did the work. And about a day or two days before I was supposed to go home, for, I was supposed to discharge, mm-hmm. I called my loser boyfriend. I said, you need to come here right now. He drove up and I had my counselor with me and I broke up with him. Good. I said, I'm not moving back. We are not going to be together. You need to find a new place to live we're terminating the lease, you know, I'll give you a month and I'm not coming back to Orange County and I'm not going to be working for this place anymore. Like I, in 24 hours before I was supposed to go home, I was like, no, yeah, because there were too many things pointing me in the direction of staying. Yeah. And there was too many God things that were showing me like so intensely to my face that like, you're not ready to go back. Because if you go back, the exact same pattern is going to happen over again.
0: Exactly. Because the evil is sitting right at your house.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, and I knew I didn't want to be with him. I couldn't wait to get away from him, you know? And so within 24 hours, I broke up with him. I gave up my, my career Mm -hmm. and I gave up my place to live and all my things that I thought I'd worked so hard for, right? All these things that like I thought made me important. I was like, I need to give myself a real chance to live.
0: Yeah. You're only 27 at this time, right? 27. You're still a baby. Mm
1: -hmm. 27. And I stayed for seven months in treatment.
0: Good job.
1: I stayed for seven months. And even after that seven months, I didn't go back to Orange County. I got hired at the treatment center. To start a mind and body program. Nice. So I developed a mind and body program and incorporated movement, exercise, yoga, equine therapy, all these like incredible things that are so healing for people who are newly getting sober, Mm -hmm. right. That they didn't have before teaching them how to get in touch with their bodies. And it was a way for me to, to get my kind of toe back in the fitness pool Mm -hmm. in a safe way. Yes. Ended up going back to school, went to UCLA and got my my certification or my or went through the certification program through UCLA for KDAC. I just recently passed my licensure exam, like I don't know, three months ago.
0: Congratulations! Thank
1: you. <laughs> and I worked for thirteen dollars an hour for two years. Wow! And put myself in student loan debt, and and I wouldn't have changed any of it because everything that's happened after all that, like I got everything back that I thought that I worked so hard for tenfold.
0: Isn't that amazing? That's so incredible. It really is. You have such an incredible (laughs) journey. And it's crazy because this is what I love about this podcast is if I was to see you like at a normal Starbucks and ladies, you can't see what Amy looks like, but you can find her. We'll give her Instagram handle after this. She's beautiful. She's tall. She's thin. She's got like rock solid arms. I mean, I would die for those arms. (laughs) Beautiful blonde, just, gorgeous green eyes. If I saw you at Starbucks, I would just look at you and be like, man, that girl has it together. Mm-hmm. She's got it all figured out. And this is what I really want us to to like learn about each other. As fearless females, we've all been through the darkness. We've all been through that pit. We've all have some like skeletons in our closet. But with this day and age in social media, we only post the beautiful pictures, the filtered pictures, the beautiful trips and vacations. But secretly, we have a completely different life behind closed doors. Uh So Amy, what would you tell? What is your nugget of wisdom that you would tell someone who is listening to this podcast right now that is has that addiction behind closed doors that is perfect, perfectly functional at it, Uh that nobody has a clue what they're doing? What would you tell that person?
1: If I had to give a small piece of wisdom that's gotten me through the darkest times of my life, it would be that there's a lesson within the darkness and that we must choose to see the lesson because we don't just go through really hard things just to go through them. Something is to be learned and growth is always possible. And we cannot have the darkness without the light and vice versa. And if we remember that, it makes the darkness more tolerable because just on the other side of it is light if we choose to see it.
0: Yes, Absolutely. You have to choose it. Mm -hmm. You have to choose to see the light and also go towards it. Always. Go towards it, ladies. Seriously. This has been such an incredible podcast (laughs) episode. I am so excited that you came down here, Amy, to be in studio. Yes. I love in studio guests. But thank you guys for listening to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female Amy, how can the listeners find you? What's your Instagram handle?
1: My Instagram handle is Amy amygreenfitness.
0: Perfect. Everybody, if you guys want to send her a little bit of love, or if you have any questions, I'm sure she'll be happy to answer totally. anybody or direct need them help. if they need help. You know, if you need help, if you're in that moment right now, and you're like, it's time, I need help. If you're too ashamed to talk to your family, send Amy a DM. I'm sure she'll be happy to like help you.
1: That's what I went to school for, ladies.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> life school, too.
0: Thank you again for listening to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. If you're looking for a life coach or a spiritual mentor, you can book a free discovery call with me at www.fearlessfemale.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at fearlessfemale__coach, Subscribe to my YouTube channel, at Fearless Female, or find me on TikTok. I'm under at Paola.Rosser. And if you love this episode, make sure you hit subscribe. Share it with your friends and leave a review. I read every single review and I truly appreciate the time you spend writing it.